Thanks for joining us. Coming up on NTD Business, Elon Musk again warning of dangers posed by artificial intelligence, saying it could destroy civilization. What else did he say? Apple opens its first ever store in India, underscoring the importance of the market. A second store in the country is also opening soon. New warning about the commercial real estate sector from a market veteran. He says we'll see more defaults. Why? Goldman Sachs shares dropped today after reporting disappointing earnings, which dragged down its profit. House lawmakers grill SEC Chairman Gary Gensler over his regulatory policies. We get insights into his climate disclosure mandates, as well as his crypto industry crackdown. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us, Don Ma here. Wall Street ended little change today after a mixed performance from mega cap stocks and disappointing quarterly reports from investment bank Goldman Sachs. This as first quarter earnings season kicks into gear. The Dow lost 11 points, S&P added 4 points or 0.1%, and the Nasdaq lost 4 points. Johnson & Johnson beat first quarter expectations as growth in cancer treatments and its home market helped counter another revenue hit from a strong dollar. Pharmaceutical sales grew 4% in the first quarter. The bulk of that revenue came from immunology and cancer treatments. Those include long-standing top sellers like the blood cancer treatment Darzalex. Johnson Johnson also sells medical devices, including products for knee and hip replacements. Sales in that area grew more than 7% to $7.5 billion. J&J also has a consumer health business that sells well-known products like Band-Aids. Sales there grew about 7%. Overall, U.S. sales grew nearly 10% to $12.5 billion in the first quarter. Shares of J&J closed today at 161, down almost 3%. Goldman Sachs' profit fell nearly 20% in the first quarter due to a slump in deal-making and a loss from the sale of part of its consumer lending business. The bank today says it lost $470 million on the sale of some of its Marcus loans. Marcus was Goldman's failed attempt into consumer banking. CEO David Solomon had pushed for it for years. That loss dragged down overall profits. By contrast, peers, J.P. Morgan Chase, Citigroup, and Bank of America all reported higher profits. Still, Goldman beat Wall Street's profit estimate, leading Solomon to call the bank's results solid, especially in light of the banking turmoil. Revenue, however, missed expectations as Global mergers and acquisitions activities shrank to the lowest level in more than a decade, hurting Goldman's investment banking fees. Shares of Goldman Sachs were down less than 2% today. Defaults are coming to the real estate sector. This according to market veteran Howard Marks. He said, quote, we're very likely to see mortgage defaults in the headlines. Marks highlighted the impact of higher interest rates on real estate prices. He also pointed to the possible effects of the hybrid work model on landlords' business models. The magnitude of losses that banks may suffer is uncertain, but he believes that mortgage defaults could add to the existing financial stress. Joining me is Robert Helms, real estate veteran and host of the Real Estate Guys show. Now... Howard Marks, uh, the the market veteran, said uh, we're we're very likely to see mortgage defaults. Now, what I want to know is what kind of risks are facing the commercial real estate sector that could cause, you know, the defaults? 
Well, the big thing is that many commercial landlords put their loans in place in 2018, 19, or 20 at pretty good interest rates. At the time, they had tenants who had offices full of people. When the pandemic happened, all of a sudden, the offices were empty or near empty, and that was still okay because those leases had to be paid. As those leases renew, many companies aren't renewing because they no longer have workforces sitting in those offices. And because commercial lending works different than residential, when those loans come due, they must be refinanced. And today's rates are twice as high as they were a few years ago. Now, the idea of people going to the office buildings uh, fewer days a week, right? Do you think this will also have an impact? I think there are, we're already seeing that. You know, I have a friend who has a fractional CFO. He's a CFO for three different companies. He doesn't have an office in any of their buildings. He works from home. And we're seeing more and more of that. So it really is a financial decision based on what the tenant can afford. And if the tenant's still willing to pay for the space, even though employees are only there a couple of days a week, then it can still work. The challenge is when large workforces have been sent home and they haven't come back yet. Which segments in the, in the commercial, commercial real estate sector do you think are most at risk? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the highest risk is in office space, real office, class A, class B office space, where you have people in cubicles and offices coming to work every day, call centers, those kinds of things. You know, retail is a different part of commercial where we don't see quite as much stress right now, but it's also very market driven. Some office markets have been overbuilt for some time. This just exacerbates that problem. And I think the possibility of a recession, in my opinion, doesn't bode well for rental rate and occupancy. What do you think? That's very true. You know, a recession affects different businesses in different ways. Obviously, someone who is buying a house, that's going to be dependent on their job and their income. But with offices, you have your tenants as businesses. Some businesses do well in a recession and others don't. So it's going to be spotty, but it's definitely going to be challenging. Well, you have the three factors. You have less people coming to the office, you have interest rates up, and you have a possible recession in the future. So do you think right now is not a very good time to invest in commercial real estate? I'll tell you, most of the investors that we talk to are holding on. There's going to be an opportunity with more than $1.5 trillion of commercial debt coming due. It's not like with your house where you can easily refinance with the lender you've got a good track record with or find a new lender. When it comes to commercial loans, it's a harder deal. So right now, people are cautious. I think the, a right deal in, in a good market with a good tenant still can make sense. You just have to choose very carefully. Okay, just one last thing. You know, we're talking about all these risks, but how likely is it actually for defaults to happen? Yeah, so I think it really is a case-by-case -case basis. And many of these loans are written uh, with a clause that allows for, with, say, another point of interest paid, some continuation, normally at a higher interest rate. But if the business is doing well and they can afford the rent, then the rent comes in, the owner makes the mortgage payment, and everybody's good. So it's very much dependent upon not the market of real estate, but the tenant on a case-by-case -case basis. Right. That's a very good point. Thank you so much today, uh, Robert. Pleasure having you on Thank the show. Thank you.
Elon Musk said he was stunned after learning that the U.S. government had full access to Twitter users' private direct messages. The degree to which uh, various government agencies had effectively had full access to everything that was going on on Twitter uh, blew my mind. Um, I was not aware of that. Would that include people's DMs? Uh, yes. Musk made the comments in a recent interview with Fox News' Tucker Carlson. Musk's appearance on Fox comes as big tech platforms have come under scrutiny for alleged bias and manipulation. Musk has released many internal Twitter documents, collectively known as the Twitter files. The second part of Musk's Tucker Carlson Tonight interview is set to air tonight. During that same interview, Musk also sounded the alarm again over artificial intelligence, calling it a threat to civilization. Here's Entity's Arlene Richards with more. Billionaire entrepreneur Elon Musk issued a stark warning that artificial intelligence, or AI, has the potential to destroy civilization. Currently, the two major AI systems are Microsoft-aligned ChatGPT and Google-owned DeepMind. In a new interview with Tucker Carlson, Musk cautioned that those two are being trained to be politically correct. He says that if too powerful, they could lead to an AI dystopia. He also warned about the dangers of surpassing a point of so-called singularity. What happens when something uh, vastly smarter than the smartest person uh, comes along in silicon form? Uh, it's very difficult to predict what will happen in that circumstance. It's called the singularity. It's, you know, it's a singularity like a black hole because yes. you, you don't know what happens after that. The CEO of DeepMind recently noted that AI could reach a state of self-awareness. In the same interview, Musk also noted that AI is... More dangerous than, say, mismanaged uh, aircraft design or production maintenance or, or, or bad car production uh, in the sense that it is, it has the potential. Uh, however small one may regard that probability, but it is non-trivial. It has the potential of civilizational destruction. Musk also discussed his conversations with Google co-founder Larry Page. He expressed concern that Page wasn't taking the risk of AI seriously. He really seemed to be um, one, one, one sort of digital superintelligence, basically digital god, if you will, uh, uh, as soon as possible. Musk now says he wants to create a so-called truth GPT an AI system that prioritizes protecting humanity and has no bias towards any political ideas. More states are joining the efforts to break up Google's digital advertising business. On Monday, nine more states joined the federal government's antitrust lawsuit against the tech giant. The Justice Department accuses Google of illegally monopolizing the digital advertising market by gobbling up rivals. The DOJ says Google does this through anti-competitive mergers and by bullying publishers and advertisers into using the company's proprietary products. The lawsuit was filed earlier this year. The initial complaint included California, Colorado, Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, Rhode Island, Tennessee, and Virginia. Google is fighting the suit and has said the complaint attempts to pick winners and losers in a highly competitive market. And Apple opens its first retail store in India today. CEO Tim Cook was there, underscoring the importance of its market. NTD's Colin Fredrickson takes us there. Apple CEO Tim Cook opened the company's first retail store in India in Mumbai on Tuesday, underscoring the importance of its market. Some keen customers lined up overnight 
to get their hands on Apple products, even though they are available online in India. Cook was surprised by one man who turned up with a bulky 1984 Macintosh computer during the opening event. The new store opens as Indian consumers increasingly look to upgrade their smartphones to glitzier models with richer feature sets from budget devices typically costing less than $120. Still, Apple's pricey phones are affordable for only a few in India, where it accounts for just a 3% share of the market. A second store in Delhi, the capital, is set to open on Thursday. Cook is due to meet Prime Minister Narendra Modi and the Deputy IT Minister later this week. As Apple pushes to make India a bigger manufacturing base, some of its products, including iPhones, are being assembled in the country by Taiwanese contract electronics manufacturers Foxconn and Wistron Corp. The company also plans to assemble iPods and AirPods in India. SEC Chairman Gary Gensler was grilled by lawmakers today. We're going to give you some highlights from the hearing. A Republican-led House panel questioned him over a range of topics, including his proposal for companies to disclose greenhouse gas emissions and the lack of clear regulation around cryptocurrencies. Republicans were not happy about Gensler's job performance. Committee Chairman Patrick McHenry called Gensler's approach nonsensical. Minnesota Representative Tom Emmer called him an incompetent cop who's done nothing to protect every, everyday Americans. That's his words. Ohio Representative Warren Davidson is even taking action to remove him. The failures are many, but let me cite some of the abuses. You average more than two rules proposals a month. You inappropriately provide inappropriately short comment periods. You have unworkable and unlawful ESG disclosure mandates on the market. You have high staff turnover, unhappy people leaving your office, and unhappy companies and capital leaving our country. Uh, to correct a long series of abuses, I'm introducing legislation that removes the chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission. Republicans are especially worried about Gensler's climate disclosure rules. He proposed last year that public companies should measure and tell shareholders about their greenhouse gas emissions. Now, this includes both direct and indirect emissions. So you don't have to be actually burning coal to be contributing to climate change. Measuring these emissions can be expensive and time-consuming, especially for indirect emissions. In fact, it's possible that almost every product on Earth falls under the category of emitting indirect emissions, the technical term being Scope 3 emissions. This is because fossil fuels were likely involved in the making of every product somewhere in the supply chain. Republicans worry investors will shun companies who emit more and that companies will be further dis discouraged from going public. Texas Representative Roger Williams says some companies may have to spend $100 million to comply with this proposal. He asked Gensler about how he plans to protect smaller companies from this burden. I'm a business guy in Texas. I'm a small business, uh, which may lack the resources and expertise to comply with the rules reporting requirements. Uh, let me take your second question first. Okay. All right. Um, our authorities are just about the public registrants, these seven or 8,000 companies. It's and we're not placing any um, obligations on non-public companies. Europe also is requiring things, so it will help us be recognized by Europe, hopefully to be that our rules would be recognized by them rather than their uh, more restrictive rules. As he has said in the past, Gensler claimed thousands of investors want these climate disclosures. 
And he says he's just trying to address their concerns. And the other hot topic was unclear crypto regulation. Critics say there are no laws that directly address the crypto industry, but Gensler is prosecuting firms in this industry for breaking the law. Many call this regulating through enforcement, but Gensler believes the existing security laws are very clear and apply to the crypto industry. There's a lack of clarity here in the marketplace. Can you at least agree to that? I think that the clarity is there. The law is clear. We've been public as a five-member commission as with regard to the custody of crypto assets, about the exchange definition in crypto assets. We put some of this also out to public comment. Uh, but I agree with you. It's not a matter of lack of clarity. I think this is a field that, in the main, uh, has built up around noncompliance, and uh, that's their business model. Looking forward, Gensler says that artificial intelligence is the most transformative technology of our time and that he wants the SEC to focus more on that. He says that AI is already being used extensively in finance and that he's looking to protect investors who might be harmed. Taking a break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at NTD.com. Still to come, House Republicans moving forward with their probe into Biden family business dealings. More family members are now being investigated, bringing the total up to nine. More Chinese apps targeted by a government commission over a variety of issues. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Former President Donald Trump is selling a second round of digital trading cards. They're non-fungible tokens, better known as NFTs. His website, collecttrumpcards.com, says the Series 2 cards cost cost $99. Trump's personal financial report shows his first round of NFTs earned him somewhere between $100,000 and $1 million. House Republicans making headway in their investigation into the Biden family's business dealings. House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer says his committee has obtained new records. Comer announced yesterday that his committee obtained thousands of pages of financial records related to the Biden family, their companies, and as well as associates' business schemes. Based on the new records, Comer said the committee identified six additional members of President Biden's family who may have benefited from the Biden family's businesses. This brings the total number of Biden family members involved to nine. Comer didn't name the Biden family members, but he said the committee could issue more subpoenas to banks. Here's what he told Larry Kudlow on Fox News yesterday. We still have more family members that uh, we suspect were involved. So this is a family affair. This is something that should be troubling to every American. And what we've learned from, from going through these records are there are a lot of additional uh, LLCs, a lot of additional bank accounts that we didn't know prior to going uh, to the Treasury Cabinet. The Oversight Committee is investigating if the Biden family has been targeted by foreign actors and if there's a national security threat. The committee is also investigating if President Biden had any knowledge of or role in the business deals. More popular Chinese apps are being put under the microscope by Congress. Now, similar to the situation with TikTok, Timu and Xi'an are now also being targeted. And T.D. Shar Marshall has more. 
Congress has added apps Timu and Xi'an to the list of Chinese apps targeted for their potential risks. The apps are popular for offering clothing and products at unbeatable cheap prices. The apps made a list of concerns in a nine-page report by the U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission, or USCC. For some reference, Xi'an became the most talked-about brand on TikTok and YouTube in 2022. And Timu saw a 45% surge in downloads on the day it ran ads during the Super Bowl in February. Timu has replicated Xi'an's process of quickly manufacturing and shipping clothing to the U.S. consumers. Some concerns on what the USCC report calls the Chinese fast fashion industry are its economic model, intellectual property theft, cybersecurity risks, the impact of Chinese e-commerce firms like Xi'an on U.S. businesses, and forced labor possibilities. Xi'an has sourced clothing from China's Xinjiang region, but failed to document that it was not a product of forced labor, a requirement under the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. The report said, citing an investigation by Bloomberg News in November. Both Xi'an and Timu have also been involved in legal disputes for replicating U.S. clothing brand designs. And Xi'an is even going after Timu for alleged copyright violations. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Still to come, today is the last day to file 2022 tax returns. We bring you some useful tips on what you can do before the window closes. Summer travel is heating up and we have tips to help you save money on that family trip you're planning. We have those stories coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. It's April 18th and the deadline for filing 2022 tax returns is here. Here's some last minute tips for you. In some past years, many post office locations stayed open until midnight. But this year, that's not the case. Fortunately though, tax returns can also be filed electronically if you miss your post office hours. And if you don't owe the IRS any money or have a refund coming, there's actually no penalty for missing the deadline. This may not be the case though for state taxes. Anyone can request an automatic six-month extension until October 16th, but that's only to file the paperwork, not to pay the taxes. The IRS recommends people who owe taxes should pay as much as they can by today to minimize the late charges. Now, if you're traveling with your family this summer but haven't booked flights yet, get ready for some sticker shock. U.S. domestic fares are forecast to exceed pre-pandemic prices as the summer travel heats up but they're expected to be lower than they were last year at their peak. In this next story, we have five ways to save money and prep for what's expected to be a wild summer travel season. If you're planning to travel with your family this summer, a bit of planning can save you money as airfare prices soar. You're seeing airfare today look approximately where it was pre-pandemic. Travel expert Scott Kyes has these five tips to enjoy your family vacay without breaking the bank. Number one, book flights now. Kai's recommends booking at least a month before your summer travel. Airfare tends to move in one direction in the last few weeks before a flight, and it's not down. It almost always goes up. By May, it, there's almost no hope. Which brings us to number two, 
Be flexible with your travel dates. Either shift them earlier or later to find cheaper options. Number three, consider going abroad. London has gotten a ton of extra capacity added. A new budget airline called North Atlantic Airways has started to add nonstop flights from all over the U.S. Number four, be open to alternative destinations. Kai says instead of going to popular spots like Hawaii or Miami, go to underappreciated locations like Banff, Canada. Tourism between the U.S. and Canada is still down about 20 percent from where it was pre-pandemic. And so you're going to, you know, this is a place that would typically be quite crowded, especially during uh, the middle of summer. And finally, prepare for any potential summer travel frenzy. Get to the airport early, skip checking in your bags in case your flight has changed, and know your rights. When you get that schedule change notification, don't view it as a negative. View it as an opportunity to get switched to a better flight without having to pay anything out of pocket. And that's it today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. Thanks for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.